All right, we're going to be in Psalm 49 tonight. We continue in our way through. We About a third of the way through the Psalms over the last couple of years, as we hit a couple of them here and there, we're probably going to set up camp for, for a couple of months, though, in the Psalms. We're probably going to knock a few out over the next couple of months. But we're in Psalm 49 tonight, and the last few Psalms that we've looked at uh, these have been songs of the sons of Korah. Uh, we don't really know who wrote these. We don't know a lot about uh, uh, the sons of Korah and some of these other uh, titles that we see for some of these psalms as we've talked about over the last few weeks. But we've had kind of a series of these uh, that probably would have been sung by the people of Israel. Uh, perhaps David wrote these. Perhaps it was somebody else. Uh, but, but it's some good stuff in these psalms. And this one tonight really kind of shifts gears from what we've been talking about in the last couple of weeks. And so uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, a misplaced trust that sometimes we may be tempted to put in our will. And that's what the psalmist is talking about tonight. So let's pray and then we'll dig in. God, we come to you tonight and I thank you for these words and I pray that you just bless your words as we read them and help them to help us, dear Lord, and help us not to be guilty of trusting in wealth more than we trust in you. And I pray, God, that you would hide me behind the cross I pray that you'll be glorified. I pray that you would give me the words to preach and teach tonight. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we'll just take it a few verses at a time. Psalm 49, verse 1. Hear this, all you peoples. Listen, all who inhabit the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth speaks wisdom. My heart's meditation brings understanding. I turn my ear to a proverb. I explain my riddle with a liar. So these first few verses here are kind of uh, uh, introducing us to what he's supposed to say. He's supposed to give us a mystery. He's supposed to give us a riddle. He's supposed to tell us something that's perplexing. Uh, and, and he's given us an introduction to that. And he says, look, I explain my riddle with a liar, not L-I-A-R, but L-Y-R-E, which is an instrument. It's kind of like a harp. And uh, you, see that, you see that mentioned a few times in Scripture. If you've never heard a liar, I'm going to play one for you right now, not me personally, but on the, on the, on the sound system. And you can kind of hear, and you can imagine that this would be the kind of music that would be played as they sung or spoke these words along to that music. So this is kind of what a liar sounds, or this is what a liar sounds like right here. So that gives you an idea. When it says that this riddle is going to be uh, explained along with a liar, this is probably what you would have heard, Some, uh, uh, something that sounded like that, maybe a different tone or a different pace, a different speed, whatever it may be. Uh, but that's the kind of things that, that we can think about when we read these psalms, as many of them would have been sung uh, by the people of Israel. All right, so he goes on and gets into this, uh, this riddle uh, here in verse 5. He says, why should I fear in times of trouble? Now, this is the question that's setting up everything that, that, that the author is about to talk about here. What do we have to fear in times of trouble? Well, he's going to go and explain what kind of trouble he was in and why fear was upon him. And, and we can relate to 
uh, all of the things we see in Scripture, all of the reasons why people feared in Scripture are the same reasons why we fear, situations that are upon us, enemies that are coming against us. Uh, whatever it may be, we can relate to every situation pretty much we see in Scripture. And so he asked a question here, whom should I fear in times of trouble? He says, uh, continuing on in verse 5, the iniquity of my foes surrounds me. So as we've seen in many of these psalms, there is a foe that is before him, a foe that is causing him trouble, a foe that is tempting him to be afraid. But he says, you know what? I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to fear in my time of trouble. Now let's learn more about these foes that are before him. He says in verse 6, they trust in their wealth and boast of their abundant riches. Yet these cannot redeem a person or pay his ransom to God, since the price of redeeming him is too costly. One should forever stop trying, so that he may live forever and not see the pit. And so these enemies that were against the psalmist here, their, their power comes from their wealth. They are wealthy. They are boasting in their wealth. They have power in their wealth, not so different from what we see in our world today. With great wealth often comes power. Uh, you got a little money, everybody wants to be your friends. You got a little money, you got problems, well, your money can take care of your problems. Uh, they will, they will, your money can get you a lot of things, and it can get you power. And these foes that are before the psalmist, they had a lot of money and probably a lot of power, and they were using their wealth and they were using their power uh, to make it difficult on this psalmist in some way or another. But he says, look, these wealthy people may be trusting in their wealth, but their wealth is never going to redeem them. It says their wealth can never pay the ransom to God. Now, this is interesting language because uh, this language makes sense to us because we have the New Testament to go on. and We know that we are redeemed by Jesus Christ. We know that he has paid the ransom. He has become a ransom for us by giving his blood. We see that in Mark chapter 10. We know that Jesus has paid the price so that we can be forgiven. Obviously, in the Old Testament, there was some understanding of, of, of a ransom that had to be paid for God. Now, whether the psalmist here fully realized exactly how that was going to play out is unknown. Uh, we don't know maybe what God had revealed to those people in the Old Testament, but at least they had some knowledge that, that as sinners, that there was a great price that had to be paid uh, before God, and we could not pay that price. The psalmist says, look, no matter how much wealth a person has, we cannot be redeemed. We cannot be uh, forgiven. We cannot get on God's good side because we simply have a bunch of money. And he says in verse 8, since the price of redeeming him is too costly, one should forever stop trying. You shouldn't even try, he says, so that you may live forever and not see the pit. That's what the wealthy person may attempt to do. They may get caught up in their wealth and say, I'm wealthy, I'm powerful. What bad can ever happen to me? And they may try to uh, gain favor with other people, and they may even think because of their power or their status or their wealth that somehow that puts them in good standing with God. But the, but the psalmist here says, look, you might as well quit even, uh, don't even try, because your wealth will never keep you from the pit. You can try forever and ever to repay uh, a redemption price for your sins, but you're never going to be able to repay that. And he says so that you may uh, av avoid the pit here is essentially what he's saying. That's what the, uh, the goal of the person with money uh, is trying to do. A lot of your translations probably say uh, see decay there instead of and not see the pit. Uh, the person who has a lot of wealth uh, thinks that because of their wealth they will not see decay. But the only way that, that we as human beings 
will not see decay is through Jesus Christ. Now that same language is used in Psalm 16. And in Psalm 16, a verse from there is quoted in Acts chapter 2, talking about Jesus, talking about you will not let your one see decay. You will not leave him in the grave. Now in Acts chapter 2, that psalm is being applied to Jesus, which is true. God did not leave his chosen one in the grave. He did not allow Jesus to see decay. Instead, Jesus was raised from the grave, and he conquered death, so death didn't get the final say. And so the psalmist here says, look, the wealthy person, the one that trusts in their own power, their own wealth, thinks they can escape decay. They think they can escape death. They think they can escape what's going to come, but they can never escape that because of anything that they can do. Now, the same is true for you and I. We cannot escape any punishment for our sin. We cannot escape death. We cannot overcome death because the wages of sin is death. And the only way we can overcome death is through Jesus Christ. Why? Because in Mark 10, Jesus says, look, I'm giving my life as a ransom for many. The same language that the psalmist used is the same language we see spelled out for us, speaking, uh, spoken by Jesus and speaking about the life of Jesus and the death and resurrection of Jesus in the New Testament. And so this foe that is coming against the psalmist here, in a worldly sense, appears to be very wealthy and very powerful. But the psalmist knows that his strength comes from somewhere else. He may not have power, he may not have wealth, but he does have power in the Lord, in the strength of the Lord. He goes on to say in verse 10, For one can see that wise men die. Foolish men and stupid men also pass away. They leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their eternal homes. Their homes from generation to generation. Though they have... a uh, though they have named estates after themselves. But despite his assets, man will not last. He is like the animals that perish. This is the way of those who are arrogant and of their followers who approve of their words. Now, he points out something very simple for all of us to understand. Nobody's escaping death. Anybody can see that, he says. The fool, the, fool, the wise person, whoever it may be. This is the same language that we see a lot in the Proverbs and that we see a lot in Ecclesiastes, that it doesn't matter how wealthy you are, one day you are going to die. Uh, one day you may think you're invincible, you may think you're powerful, you may think you're wealthy, but none of us is going to escape death unless Jesus Christ returns and takes us home. But apart from that, we are none of us are going to escape death. We are all going to the grave. Now, whether we put our faith in Jesus Christ determines what happens after we get put in that grave. When we take our last breath, uh, do we go to be with the Lord or not? Well, that depends if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he continues to speak about their wealth, and he says, Look, uh, e even though they have these great estates that are named after them, they still go to the grave. They follow those who come before them, and there are many who will come after them who will be just as, as foolish and not seek the Lord and trust in their own wealth, and they too will end up in the same place. They will end up in the ground. Uh, so no matter how wealthy you may be or how big of a state you may have or how much wealth you may have, uh, well, that's no assurance that you're going to have any, any length of life or any quality of life. That could all end in an instant. And that could happen for us whether we got $5 or $5 trillion. 
A good example of that, a couple of years ago, Michelle and I, we went to North Carolina and went to the Biltmore House, which was built uh, and finished uh, in 1895, and still to this day it remains the largest house in the United States. Uh, And and it took them six years to build it, and it's 178,000 square foot, and it was built by George Vanderbilt, who was super wealthy at the time because of railroads and other other things that they had made a lot of money from. But they moved into the house in 1895, and George Vanderbilt died in 1914. He didn't even live in the house for 20 years. And when I read about they have estates named after them, but yet they're still going to die and go to the grave, I thought about that. I was thinking, now there's a prime example of one of the wealthiest men in the world who 100, 125 years later, nobody's ever built a bigger house than him. But with all his wealth, he didn't live... To, to be very old at all. He died at a young age, and his family didn't even live in the house. It, uh, his wife only stayed there for a few years, and of course, it's been a tourist attraction ever since. Uh, but that's a prime example that it doesn't matter how much wealth you have, it cannot save you from the ultimate outcome in our life, and that is we are all going to die. Now, this didn't bother the psalmist because he knew something greater than wealth. His trust was not in his wealth. His trust was not where his wealth was going after he died. He, he didn't worry about was he going to have a name for himself in this world once he was long gone because the truth of the matter is is that once you and I are long gone, nobody's going to remember us. 20, 30 years after we're gone and the people who knew us pass on, guess what? We're not even going to be a, a blip in the history books. Chances are, unless God uses us to do something miraculous in some way, but chances are nobody's going to know who Shan Van Norman is 20 years after I'm, I'm dead and gone. And if I have a a house and land by then, whoever gets it after me, they're not going to care about who I am. Nobody's going to know about any of those things. And we worry sometimes about what's going to happen after we are dead and gone. What's going to happen to our our wealth? What's going to happen to our property? Well, who knows and really who cares? Because nobody's going to know. We're all going to end up in the grave. But the grave is not the final say-so if we trust in the Lord. He says in, in uh, verse 13, uh, this is the way of those who are arrogant and of their followers who approve of their words. So uh, not only are these rich people who trust in their wealth uh, also uh, in an error of their ways, but there are others who follow them who have the same mindset and the same attitude, uh, and they're going to follow the same fate. He says in verse 14, like sheep they are headed for Sheol, death will shepherd them. So uh, these people who are trusting in their wealth, when it says Sheol there, that simply means the grave. They are headed for the grave. Uh, In the New Testament, we see the word Hades sometimes, uh, which is the Greek word, uh, the same word that we see here for Sheol, is what Hades is. So when we see Sheol in the Old Testament or Hades in the New Testament, it simply means the grave. Now, unfortunately, some translations will translate Hades uh, more so as hell. And that's unfortunate because it doesn't actually mean hell. It means uh, the grave. And so what he says here that uh, those who, who, who trust in their wealth, they're like sheep being shepherded. Who are they being shepherded by? Well, they're being shepherded by death. They're being shepherded to the grave. Now, we also see that same illustration of a shepherd in the New Testament. Of course, Jesus is our shepherd, and he's not shepherding us to death. He's shepherding us over death. He's shepherding us out of the grave so that we overcome death, that death doesn't have the final say. Uh, But for those who who do trust in their wealth and who do put their security and their power in their wealth, well, they're going to the grave and there's not going to be any hope uh, for them. 
it uh, says at the second part of verse 14, the upright will rule over them in the morning and their form will waste away in Sheol far from their lofty abode. abode. Now here the, 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 the psalmist begins to talk about the upright. He acknowledges that the fate of the upright is not going to be the same as the fate of the one who puts their faith and trust in the wealth of the world. Now, those who put their faith in their estates, well, guess what? One day they're going to be in the grave, and they're going to be far away from their lofty abode, far away from their grand estates. No matter how, how big it may be, we are all going to be in the dirt when it's all said and done. Now, the psalmist recognized that. He recognizes that there's a better way. But the wealthy person, the one that trusts in their own ability and their own power, doesn't recognize that there is a better way. Now, that better way, of course, is Jesus. In verse 15, it says, But God will redeem my life from the power of Sheol, for he will take me. Selah. Now, this is an interesting verse. He, he recognizes, this righteous psalmist here, that God will redeem his life where the, the, the wealthy person will not be redeemed because he's trying to, 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 to buy his redemption with his wealth, the righteous person, the psalmist, recognizes that he will be redeemed not because of his wealth, but because of God. Now, I said earlier, I don't know how much people in the Old Testament knew about eternity and about living forever and about being resurrected. I don't know how much God had revealed to them, but obviously there was some knowledge because this psalmist here recognized that he would be redeemed. He recognized that the fate of the righteous would be different than the fate of the unrighteous. He says in verse 16, Do not be afraid when a man gets rich, when the wealth of his house increases. For when he dies, he will take nothing at all. His wealth will not follow him down. Now, while we are in this world, there may be people who have money and power uh, but that money and power may, may be held over us in this life, but it's not going to be held over us from all of eternity. It's not going to get the final say. Even the wealthiest people that we see in our world today are, are not stronger than God, no matter how much wealth they have. And while the wealthy people may be in control in this world, to some sense, we could say, uh, God is ultimately in control here and will be for all of eternity. And so even though there may be those who seem wealthy and seem like everything goes their way, uh, we don't want to get caught up in that and think that we can buy our happiness and gain power that's going to uh, give us better status in this world by our wealth. Our status doesn't need to come from what we have in this world, but what we have spiritually in God. And the psalmist recognized that, and we need to recognize that same truth. Verse 18 Though he praises himself during his lifetime, and people praise you when you do well for yourself, he will go to the generation of his fathers. They will never see the light. So here's the mindset of this wealthy person. He praises himself, and even others praise him. After all, he's success successful. He's got wealth. Boy, look at that fancy house. Look at that money. Look at all the things he has. And he boasts in himself and all of the power he's obtained and the wealth he's obtained. And other people look at him as being successful. But the, but the psalmist here recognizes that his success uh, in his wealth is, is only going to be short-lived. As he said in the verse prior, you can't take it with you when you go to the grave. It's all going to be left behind. So what good is your wealth going to do you for all of eternity? Well, it's not going to do you any good. No matter how much you boast in yourself and no matter how much others boast in you, wealth should not be our end goal. Now, we have to be careful that we don't fall into that trap because it's easy for us to be tempted by wealth. 
Every one of us in here would like to have more money. I, I can't imagine any of us say, you know, I wouldn't like to have more money. We all like to have a little more money. It's good to know that when you need something, the money is in the bank. Or when you want something even that you don't need, it's good to know that the money is there. And oftentimes, boy, the more money we have, the more people look at us and say, boy, they are successful. They are really good at what they do. Look at how much money they have. And then that kind of inflates our pride a little more and we begin to be a little proud and, and we can fall into this trap and this cycle that we want more money. And the world would say the more money you have, the better you are, the more successful you are. That's what the world would label as success, but that's not what the Bible would label as success. The Bible labels as success when we love other people, when we give from what we have to help other people. That's what God calls us to do. That's godly success. But the crazy thing is, that what the world calls success, the Bible calls foolishness, and what and what the the world calls foolishness, the Bible calls success. Now, I hope that one day I'll get to, to the point where I can say, you know, I don't really care if I have any money. I want to be there, but I'm not there because I still, boy, I like that money. I like that security. And so I hope that one day maybe I'll get to the point where I can say, you know what, whether I have a lot or I have a little, I can be like Paul and be content with it. But I'm not quite there yet. I still like to have that little bit of money to hold on to. And if we get to that point, I think we know that we are on the right track if we begin to get closer to that point. Now, some of you are probably saying right now, boy, that's just foolishness to not want to have money. Well, I'm not saying I'm there. But, but if I ever got there, the world would say that I was foolish. But I don't think that that's what the Bible would say. The Bible would say that we are faithful if we get to that point. If we have a lot of money, the world would... Boy, they would talk about us just like the psalmist says here. They would uh, talk about how great we were. And uh, we can fall into that temptation and think we're great because of our money, but we are not great because of our money. We are great because of Jesus Christ if we put our faith and trust in Him, if we follow Him, if we're obedient to Him. That's what makes us great in the eyes of God. That's what uh, redeems us before God. That's when the ransom is paid for us. And that's where our real success comes from, not from our uh, anything we've done, but from everything uh, that Jesus has done. In verse 19, it says, He will go to the generation of his fathers. They will never see the light. That is, the wealthy person is following a long line of other sinners who have come before, who have failed in the same way. And guess what? They will not see the light. They are going to be in the pit, or they're going to see decay, or they're going to be in the grave, or they're going to experience destruction. They're not going to experience the light. We see that contrast kind of alluded to a few times in this psalm between the righteous person and the unrighteous person, the one who trusts in God and the one who trusts in wealth. And he says in verse 20, a man with valuable possessions but without understanding is like the animals that perish. Now he said that a couple of times, like the animal that perish. The one who trusts in his wealth is, is no better than the animal uh, that perishes. And a man with valuable possessions but without understanding is like an animal that perishes. Now, I don't think that, 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 that having wealth is a bad thing. I think God blesses people with wealth. And I think some people with wealth use that wealth to praise the Lord and to serve the Lord. And that's a good thing. I don't think wealth in and of itself is a bad thing as long as we don't allow that wealth to consume us. As long as we use wisdom with our wealth in a godly way, wealth can be a good thing. But it's really hard for wealth to be a good thing because that, that greed really gets in there. As the scripture says, uh, the, the love of money is, is the root of all kinds of evil, and that's true. It's not to say that every person who has money is going to be evil and do evil things with it. 
But more times than not, that temptation is there. And so even if we have some money, even if God blesses us, it doesn't mean that we're evil for having it, uh, but we need to make sure that we do what we can and be that person who has understanding. If we are a man or a woman with valuable possessions, we don't want to be one who has possessions but no understanding. Instead, we want to be one who has possession and also wisdom. But even if we don't have possessions, if we don't have anything, we should still seek to be one, whether we have possessions or not, to be one who is wise. Because you can be as poor as you can be, and you can still lack understanding and wisdom. And so the real key to what we should want in life is not wealth or poverty, but it's wisdom and understanding. And if we have wisdom and understanding, whether we are rich or whether we are poor, we can glorify God and praise Him just the same and not fall into the trap that we see here in Psalm 49. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you tonight and I thank you for these good words and I pray that you help us to, uh, to, to not be tempted by our wealth, dear Lord, we are. And I pray that you help it not to, to overcome us, help us never to think too highly of ourselves uh, for, for what wealth we may have or think too lowly of ourselves for what little we may have, dear Lord. Our identity is not built in our wealth. It's not built in us being rich or being poor. It's built in us trusting in you, dear Lord. And so I pray that we would trust in you just as the psalmist, God, that we would not seek to be redeemed or win your favor by our good works or by our wealth, but by the works of Jesus Christ and the price that he paid on the cross for us. And God, I pray that you just would help us to remember these words in a time that we need to remember them. Help us to be men and women of wisdom and understanding, dear Lord, no matter what we have, that we would be wise and understanding and glorify you through it all. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's service. To learn more about Jesus, call or text Pastor Shan at 601-657-0180 or email him at shanvn at me.com. You can also visit us at www.enterprisebaptist.church or follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ebcliberty. We hope that you have been blessed by today's service.